Well, thank you so much, Connor, for joining me today. Uh, very excited to talk about you know your journey and the journey of Open Invest. I've been you know following it for for a while now because this is really I think one of the first you know sustainable investing sort of platforms that that came out during this sort of rise of of impact investing or social responsible investing, you know whatever we want to call it. Right, the sector mm-hmm. as a whole has sort of grown over the last say decade or so. So you know before we get into to the catalyst for Open Invest, kind of just talk about your journey before. For open invest and, and what made what was your path like up till then? Thanks, Grant. Thanks for having me. The path before founding Open Invest, I had come out of I uh, graduated college in 05 and had gone to Wall Street to do investment mm-hmm. banking. I didn't last too long there. I did about a year and then moved to Bridgewater Associates. And I was there for about eight years building their uh, portfolio construction systems. So learning about rules-based investing and the complexity that happens when you scale those systems. And then, um, yeah, that took, a, took me to 2014 uh, when I left and joined up with, initially, it was one other co-founder, uh, another colleague from Bridgewater. And we... Uh, we moved out to San Francisco and we knew we wanted to work together, but we didn't know what we wanted to work on yet. And uh, we took some time to figure it out. And eventually, Josh, another friend of mine who had uh, his, he had spent his career in sustainable investing and at the World Wildlife Fund. And when he hmm. joined, that was really the, the pivot or solidifying of the, the main vision that we're still going after, which is mainstreaming values-based investing. When you say you took that, when you made the move to San Francisco and you were kind of trying to figure out sort of the next steps. Did you know it was going to be, were you even dabbling in sort of sustainable finance or, or impact investing? Like, was that term even on your sort of radar um, or was it Josh that sort of embedded that in you guys' thought process? Yeah, it, it really wasn't um, until then. So we had, um, you know, we went through about a year of ideation where we identified a bunch of different ideas that we thought were interesting or technologies that we, we thought might be interesting at the time, things like drones and AI and uh, yeah. things really out outside of outside of finance we had a agreement as sort of one of the core things we wrote down was that we were going to build technology for good so we we evaluated some options you know joining companies and other things and didn't didn't like the direction of some but uh, we wanted to do something something for good and so initially we landed on sort of open sourcing investment strategies, more com- building more complex, um, and we think better investment mm-hmm. strategies, but making those available, you know, a- available down market. And then uh, we built out an early version of that. And then it, it was only then started talking with Josh about the sustainable investing landscape in that world and how if what we had built in terms of the platform for rules-based customization could incorporate these rules of, of values-based investing in the ESG data that was out there. And so we took some time, about six months, to really dive into that question. And then at the end of that, we're convinced that this was a, you know, a large-term trend, that it was um, doable, that we could build technology that was differentiated, um, and that it fit this idea of good that we had that, you know, we can put our skills and background and domain in this area to, to a good chance of doing something that, that really helps. You know, when, and you've been in really both sides of it, like just, you know, hedge fund, you know, traditional investment banking, like looking at, you know, strictly making decisions based on sort of the bottom line, right. And based on making sort of money, you know, that's the job of, of these institutions. And I think where it's always been a, a struggle, I think, for sustainable investing or ESG. Again, there's some definitions that we could talk about here, but I think early on, like 
was it was there a struggle that you were like, hey, is this is this sort of possible to to actually do with with public companies, right? Can we can we really have you know socially conscious sort of investing within the public marketplace where you know the bottom line is king, right? We can kind of do all these ancillary social good quote unquote things, but at the end of the day, if that doesn't fit itself within you know shareholder value, if that doesn't result in that, then you know they're always going to choose you know something that might be different than yeah. You know, sustainability, socially, like when you were digging into this, like, did you see some conflicting factors there? It was like, hey, is this even possible to do successfully? I think I wouldn't call it conflict, but we definitely saw, you know, the the shape of what you're talking about. Interesting. In our own company, we we were, I think, one of the first venture-backed public benefit corporations, which is this, I don't know how familiar you are, but a designation um, to, you know, to to specify that, that you are about a double bottom line and that you can, you know, make those trade-offs. So we had, uh, we sort of thought about it from that perspective. And then also raising capital. When, when we were raising investors, there was sort of two, wor- two worlds of capital. There's the traditional Silicon Valley sort of for-profit. And there were um, investors that were double bottom line and very clearly about impact. And then you also had a spectrum because you had investors that were, you know, for-profit, but making it in the, you know, part of their uh, brand or value add that, that they were going in a certain direction. And so you could see the, the sort of entire spectrum. In terms of, um, you know, the public companies and, and the potential impact, like a lot of finance has chased the idea of, you know, risk and return as the important dimensions. And I think rightfully so the, with, you know, f- financial systems that work and, you know, a public company regulatory framework that, you know, supports that capital um, is largely pointed in a good direction. And you have risk and return is kind of the, a big part of that framework. But what we're trying to do is expand the dimensions that are considered when capital moves around. So not just risk and return, but how does it impact environment? How does it impact social policy? How does it impact people in different ways? And what are all those things that people care about? And so I think it's natural people think about the impact of their money and the impact of their capital, but it's just that the system is not really designed and you know we could dive yeah. in under the hood, but it's not really made to have these values be collected and flow. And we don't have all of the data and the transparency we need to actually affect this, but we're seeing movements towards that. I think you know in the future and this drive towards personalization, that's when it will be powerful when you have all the data, you have all the client preferences um, and you can marry the two together. And I think you're gonna you're gonna see public companies and you know other other folks that that manage capital respond to this. I guess look, we're we're still kind of early in in this whole. I guess we'll 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 cover the sort of umbrella term, right? The ESG is probably the most generic one that a lot of people know. But I think you know when it was introduced at at scale, I think at a really you know global level, they had some bumps in the road. They had a you know sort of funds were sort of deactivated because of their ESG designations and and sort of they looked under the hood a little bit and got kind of stripped of that that lettering I guess how would you how would you look at the world of ESG maybe you know the last decade and, and as we as it matures as a sector do you like that label do you think we should maybe change that maybe I guess where are we yeah. at from from your point of view in in the maturity of sort of the ESG space and and if it's if it's going to continue to to mature and actually bring I guess the value that it sort of you know promises early on. Yeah, that's a great question. Our approach at Open Invest was always to to take the client centered view, 
So if the, you know, what does the client care about? How do they want to see it? And, you know, in the end, uh, a living, breathing client. Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the labels will move, the data will expand, but, um, you know, we're going to be focused on knowing en- enough about the client to know what they care about. And uh, that could be environmental and social things and fit under traditional frameworks. And, um, you know, that obviously is, we, we have cause, causes that, um, that fit very well with ESG frameworks, but it's also going to be things that are not traditionally part of those institutional frameworks. And, uh, and that's under a broader umbrella than we think of, of values-based investing. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I think what values-based and, and sort of the, the open invest sort of model, and, and I guess essentially, how does it work, right? And, and what, I guess, how does the data tell you about, what can it tell you about values, you know, of, of a company, right? I guess, what are some of the inputs, if you can share, <laughs> that, that are taken to kind of put, in, put it in these buckets, of, of the causes. And if you want to talk about the causes, that'd be great as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. We have, um, so causes are sort of how we approximate what people care about in the world. And I think we're in the very early innings of this. Um, and I think it's somewhat limited by the the actions you can take on the investor's behalf and the the data that's available to inform those actions, less so than it's limited by knowing uh, in rich detail what the clients care about. So that so for now causes are these buckets. So for instance, we have sustainable agriculture or um, healthy oceans, and uh, clients can say that they care about that. We can infer that, um, or we can ask them about it, and based you know based on their activity. Um, and then we have data sets that we uh, that we bring on board that inform these issues. So for something like healthy oceans, it could be data from from NGOs and nonprofits. It could be information on companies' products and their supply chains. Uh, and then we aggregate that data and come up with a proprietary methodology as to how we can map the data to an overall an overall cause and then we we take that cause and and apply it in different in different places so it's a it's a lens that clients can use in their reporting um, it's a lens that can be used when constructing a portfolio or optimizing it for for a particular thing and then it's a lens we can also use in a client's philanthropy or their proxy mm-hmm. voting and and shareholder engagement who would you, who would you say is like the a perfect client for open invest like is that changing now that it's kind of been around for you know nearly a decade now you know but obviously it's it's matured the last those few years but like who is the ideal client and do you see sort of new clients coming in from different parts of the financial industry yeah that's also a question like we we struggled with this you know before we were acquired we you know said we we bounced around different channels and had, um, you know, investments going directly to, to retail and then different institutions. Right. Um, and so we ended up thinking about a bunch of different client use cases that was valuable then bringing it into to JP Morgan. So we don't, um, I'm in a comfortable position of not trying to, having to optimize yeah. Yeah. a client channel anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, JP Morgan, JP Morgan serves all. So we have billionaire and the wealthiest people in the world and we have folks, uh, you know, all, all the way down half the households in America. And so we were choosing based on those client channels and the roadmaps and things, what, what makes sense to build at what time. But yeah. our goal is to serve the entire spectrum and, and to be able to have a platform that can adapt both to institutional and family office use cases where there have custom custom philanthropic needs, for example, um, and custom portfolio needs all the way down to, to re- retail investors. I want to talk about divesting for, for a minute. 
And I think it's it's a powerful way to whether it's you know value value on investing or just you know making you know an impact sort of in your life with your capital is divesting is a powerful way to do it. The question I have after divesting is that you always have to then invest it somewhere else. Usually is is, is the ideal situation. Yeah. Has that has a lot of work gone into that where you know you have to figure out a way to have something ready to go, I think, like for, for a client, right? They, they say, okay, we're going to di- divest, whether it's hundreds of thousands or millions from this particular company or this particular sector. Is it then easy for them to actually put that money to work somewhere else that value aligns with them? Or is that has that been a struggle to, to, to match that after the divesting part happens? So there's, you know, there's different views on divesting, investing, sort of the, the power that divesting can have. I, I also think that will change over time. So I don't think it's a fixed answer as to how, mm-hmm. you know, whether you invest and try to encourage a company to change um, or divest from the company and move the capital elsewhere. Like there's not going to be one answer to that as to yeah. as companies have different reactions and shareholders can, you know, amass together and things, you know, it may look different over time. But in terms of, the, yeah, the portfolio rebalancing. So the way our, you know, our technology that we built works is to incorporate those trade-offs. So as you as you take uh, investable universe out of the portfolio, how do you invest across the remaining portfolio in a way that minimizes financial metrics that you care about? So usually risk and return. And so with some you know rules-based approach and um, and knowledge of the portfolio construction, you can you can minimize the, that impact and you can allow um, investors to, uh, or allow clients to choose between the trade-offs or, or have different flexibility. I have a, a quick founder question for you. Yeah. Was was sort of acquisition at the point when JP Morgan acquired it, was that always the goal was to sort of get you know acquired or did an opportunity arise that it was like, hey, this is kind of too good to be true. We found a, a really good partner that I think fits yeah. our needs and our ideals to scale this thing, right? There's always that, that fork in the road. But I guess, what was that choice as, you know, as a, as a founder making that decision, right? To Because then it, there's a lot of different things that go on after you get acquired into one of the biggest, you know, companies in the world. Things things change from decision-making level and all kinds of different levels. But I guess walk us through that. Yeah, um, that was... Um... So the decision-making part of it, the, it was definitely not the the initial intent to be to be acquired. We were, you know, we were raising our Series B, which we'd been working towards for mm-hmm. for years, and we had finally seen traction in the RAA space. Um, you know, to you know the hockey stick that that folks are looking for to raise that growth round, and uh, and we were going out to do that, and um, you know we're excited to have cl- cracked those client channels, and then um, and then we started talking with J.P. Morgan, who we we didn't have a pre-existing relationship with, but as part of that, they had then expressed interest in in acquiring the whole company, and uh, and so we took some time, we paused the fundraising process, and um, and you know g- give it the attention it's due, and uh, in diving in, we you know the we were brought back to that founding mission, which is to mainstream values-based investing. And, you know, the, the goal was not to build a company. The, the goal was to have an impact um, in the end and that um, if we had good vision alignment and we thought that we could still be effective in JP Morgan, then this was the best way to, 
to forward the mission. And uh, and then so we spent some time digging into that. And the, the folks at JP Morgan were great. Miri Erdos, who runs the asset and wealth management department, had a, a vision that was very aligned with our own in terms of personalization at scale and how values-based investing fits into that. And uh, and then we, um, yeah, so then we, we decided, you know, there's this decision process where uh, I guess it was weeks of, you know, playing out the scenarios and then getting, you know, concentric circles of people on board. So, you know, discussing it as co-founders first and bringing in investors and employ and senior employees and then bringing bringing everyone in but then uh yeah we we decided to do it and uh we're happy we did um it's you know we have a, a massive client base to serve and we've been effective at integrating with the jp morgan ecosystem and uh yeah excited to have some things going out in the next year when, when you look at the the causes i guess you know, if you can divulge a little bit about, I guess, what's sort of getting the most traction? I guess it's, it's really, you're kind of really in an interesting position to see, you know, what causes people care about in a really unique way. <laughs> I guess, have you been surprised where, you know, people, whether divesting or then allocating to certain causes, like, is it, hey, divesting from gambling or alcohol is, is kind of spiking or, or capital going into these certain causes is spike. I guess, what does the data say about who we are as, as capital allocators is <laughs> yeah. from the data? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can speak to any like robust signals that we're getting from client, um, you know, interactions with the causes. But the, um, you know, the the new causes that that we're working on are coming now, are coming coming soon to market. Um, sustainable agriculture and mm, and healthy yeah. oceans. Yeah, like those represent. So the yeah. causes don't come out of the blue, right? You, in order to launch it, you need robust data available. So there's different folks working on it, and you know, and knowledge of how that data applies to the cause. Etc. So these are things that have sort of been you know near the surface um, for a while, and you're seeing cresting or rising demand in these. You're seeing better quality data sets. You're seeing better understanding of how that data leads may map to a public company or you know, and it's not just public companies. We we go across and we're going across new asset classes to you know to fixed income, you know, and measuring different entities. But you, yeah, so you're seeing these issues are, you know, sort of now over that threshold of having good quality data, good quality methodology, um, and then also the the broad client interest in those topics. I'll end here in a little bit of the future. You kind of just touched on it a little bit. But if you look at that next, you know, three to five years, what are some of the goals and successes you would like to, to see, whether it's a product roadmap or just generally a, as a team, what do you, what do you think about as, as goals and successes? Like over the next few years, we want to we want to really have our our companies humming together. So a, a, mm -hmm. a good integration with JP Morgan, um, what you call it the kind of airlock, where the companies yep. are are deal at different pressures, if you will, or different rhythms and different styles. And so uh, we're constantly evolving that. And I think there's um, you know there's there's always ways to go in in making that better. Being clear about our identity as a company there. So what are we, you know, what is our product roadmap? How do we think that's going to transform capital markets and what's the opportunity to do that? So having that, you know, as we, as we scale, we're about 80 people now and, um, and we're growing. So, wow. you know, defining that for folks and, and, and being sure we're all on the same page. And then the product, you know, in that three to five year horizon where we'd want to be launching um, lots of causes more particular and more granular bringing lots of data online to speak to all the different things that people care about um, and then to have this you know unified platform in place that's 
connected to all the parts of the the client journey at, at, at JP Morgan. So right through from account opening and you know the onboarding and learning about clients, whether that's digitally or via advisor relationships, and then knowing a lot more about the world. So better quality data, more data sources, rapid onboarding of new sources that are important to the the issues client cares about. But really having this platform in place through through all the different parts and JP Morgan's a huge company. There's a long way to go. I'm sure I'm <laughs> yeah. sure we'll still be integrating in three years from now, but at least having that connectivity and and sort of being that place where the different parts of JP Morgan come to to learn about a client's values and and how that can be connected to to actions we can take. Well, thank you so much, Connor, for for joining me, man. It's really, really cool to see you know you build a company and you know all the things that go into that and sort of a new sector, right? And when you started, it was it's cool to know the ideation process of, hey, we kind of didn't intend to build something like this, but we did it and, you know, we're still building it out, but, you know, it's been successful so far. And I think, yep. like, I think we both know this is sort of a industry that's going to, it's very young at heart and it's going to keep maturing over the next decades. And the data is going to be the most important part as, you know, you're integrating with, you know, with JP Morgan. I think all these industries need to integrate within the sustainability sector in, in a way, right? In, in the real world, they need to figure out a way to integrate their supply chains and, and their overall thinking of, of what their business is going to be like. And once that all comes together, I think, you know, policy will happen and, you know, certain balance sheet things will have to, to be on there. So that's data that can be, you know, extracted and, and looked at and, and help people make, you know, better value aligned decisions. Yep. So, We'll see, man. It's going to be it's going to be a fun time. So congrats on all the success so far. And, you know, congrats on the next decade. Thanks, man. Yeah, there's there's a long there's a long way to go. I don't think we're ever going to stop solving the problem of how best to allocate our resources and, you know, get the most out of it. So it'll be a never ending problem. But it's, you know, it's exciting. that There's a lot of momentum in the space. And uh, yeah, I think that the next few years um, there's going to be some exciting changes. Thanks so much for having me.